drowning in a sea of sin, going down for the last time when you called upon his name. He reached down his nail-scarred hand and he lifted you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory for what he's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Do you remember when with all your heart you longed to serve Him? But you didn't think that Jesus someone like you but look how he's used your life since he called you out so remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now give him the glory for what he's done in your took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. So take off crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 today. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 through 6, and as soon as we're done with that, we're going to kind of do a very quick summary as we look at our chart again in a moment, and Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, let's just read through verse 6 today, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. I want you to notice real quickly in verse 2, we have a couple of different names for the devil. Satan, it says, on the dragon, old serpent, <clears throat> devil, Satan. You can take those words, those names, run them through the Word of God, and you'll learn a lot about the devil. You'll learn a lot about him as you follow those names through Scripture. Nonetheless, he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him, shut him up. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more 
till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such a second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. We have six verses that we read in the book of Revelation, and boy, they cover a great span of time. Uh, we, uh, by way of summary, are going to look very quickly now at our... There we go. We're going to look very quickly at our chart here again and just kind of recap where we are. We noticed in Revelation chapter 4, after the church age, that we had a rapture of the church, a catching away we talked about. And again, um, uh, that has yet to take place but will take place. Even as His first coming was prophesied and fulfilled, so will His second coming be fulfilled as well. And so we have the rapture of the church. We discussed that already. We see that in Revelation chapter 14, or chapter 4, excuse me. Then we have the tribulation period where Antichrist rises to power, demands a mark, ultimately will behead those who fail to receive that mark, and will rule and reign on the earth and uh, try to, of course, overthrow God in his efforts. And we see seven years of tribulation, God's wrath being poured upon man, Satan uh, pouring his wrath upon anyone who doesn't worship him. And then, of course, we had the revelation we talked about, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. We said that the revelation and the rapture are two portions of one event, uh, the return of Christ. And so now the return of Christ is complete now with the revelation. So we have the church age, which we're presently in, the church being taken out. We have the tribulation kicking off. And then we have the revelation, the return of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19. So we have chapter 4, we have 5 through 18, we have chapter 19 of Revelation, basically, is what it breaks down to. And now we, we basically uh, come to our, our verses here and we get into the reign of Christ, of course, following Armageddon. You know, we talked about that a little bit. We have this big battle that takes place. And, of course, we read a little bit about that in chapter 20 in the first, uh, just a moment ago in the first couple of verses. But uh, so that's setting the scene now. And uh, we have this, this coming now of Christ. He's going to now establish his, his kingdom. And we are certainly... Uh, grateful that he's coming back. Now, when he does return and there's this great battle, there's going to be a judgment. Take your Bible if you have it. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll look at that very quickly before we move on uh, by way of introduction again. But we're going to see here that God is going to judge the nations. There's going to be a judgment of nations that takes place when Jesus Christ returns at this second coming. Again, the tribulation has taken place. The armies of have gathered together to fight against Israel, and uh, God returns us following him, and uh, he speaks, and the battle's over, and the war takes place, but then, like I say, there'll be a judgment now before we enter into the millennial, or millennium, or this thousand years where Christ will rule and reign. And notice what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. 
But the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Now, again, we don't have time to read the whole portion of Scripture here, but the fact is, is that when Christ returns, He's going to judge nations, okay? When you stand before Him, you'll go to the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for your works or those things which you've done since you've been saved, not for your sin. That was judged on Calvary, but be judged for what you did with what God gave you, and that includes His Spirit in your life, and that means that there's going to be a pretty, pretty high expectation there. Nonetheless, you're not judged for your sin. That's an individual judgment. Later down the road, there's the great white throne judgment. That's an individual judgment as well. People will stand before God one at a time, giving an account for their life. The books will be open. God will judge them out of those books. Those books include their works. Their works will testify that they are sinners, and they will be cast into the lake of fire. This judgment is a judgment of nations, as it's quite clearly outlined here in Matthew. Goat nations, and we have sheep nations. We have those, that, those nations that supported and encouraged and aided Israel during this period of time in the tribulation. We have nations who, who uh, tried to strangle Israel, who sought to destroy Israel, those who joined Satan in the battle to, to annihilate them. And when God returns in the second coming, he's going to judge the nations. And those nations that did not support, encourage, and aid and help Israel will be annihilated, gone forever. They'll be, they'll be forgotten, and they're never going to get into the millennium. <laughs> but those nations that did, as nations, will enter into the millennium. Okay, so that's basically what we see taking place here, okay? And so we have a judgment of nations. Sometimes one of the big questions is, and we'll talk a little bit about it later on, maybe tonight, but one of the big questions is, well, who's going to be in the millennium? Well, there'll be those that were in the tribulation period that will enter into the millennium along with others, and we'll talk about that probably tonight because of time this morning. We won't be able to get to it all this morning. Nonetheless, we see that. Now, again, those that survived the great battle are going to enter the millennium where Christ will reign a thousand years. And we see that chapter 20, verse 4, we already read it, but it says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There's going to be a people, literal people like you and I, who are going to enter into the, tribula- into the millennium. They're going to live with the Lord. He's going to be, as we're going to see in a moment, ruling and reigning on the throne of David. They're going to be following him just like we do our government leaders today. No different. Going to have flesh and skin just like you got flesh and skin going to eat food just like we eat food, going to have to have uh, all kind of different things for human beings. There'll still be people being married, having children. Life will go on just like it goes on now. It will be different, obviously, because Christ will be ruling and reigning. But nonetheless, it will be earth, and we, it'll be just like it is, okay, in that sense. There'll be people just like you and I uh, here on the earth at that point. Now, this is going to continue for 1,000 years. And the Bible tells us that Christ is going to rule and reign for 1,000 years. So, we have the church age that's going on for the last 2,000 years. We're waiting for, to hear that trumpet to be called out, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the bride of Christ. The tribulation will kick off for seven years. It'll continue. And then at the end of seven years, the, the revelation or the actual return of Jesus to the earth this time, 
where he will then establish his kingdom. Big battle takes place. Be a judgment of nations there. Certain ones will go into the millennium. Certain ones will not ever make it there. And so nonetheless, that thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ will kick off. And that's what we're discussing today, the reign of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. Speak to our hearts and help us to understand, Father, what you want us to, to, to glean what we can and what we need. And, Father, may we be encouraged today by this reality and these truths. Father, we're grateful that you will rule and reign. Father, you have a rightful place on that throne. And we're glad, Father, that one day all the forces of evil will be held at bay and you will, Father, take your charge. Now, Father, we need you, Lord. We love you. Bless us today. In Christ's name, amen. Now, in this particular message, we're going to deal probably with just my first point. Tonight, I'll probably cover the next two. But I want to talk about the landscape of that period of time, the landscape, how it will look, how it will appear. And then tonight, we're going to discuss the last stand, the last stand. And then this evening also, we will consider the lessons learned. And so we're going to look at one out of three tonight, to this morning, and continue tonight to figure out the rest as we move along here this evening. Um, if I, maybe I will, I'll tell you what, I may, I may do this Sunday morning next week. I think I will. And tonight we'll just not have church. You don't believe that, do you? Well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. I'll make up my mind later. We will have church, though, I promise you that. Unless the Lord returns, then you can have church. I won't be here, okay? <laughs> okay. That's not how you win friends and influence people, is it? Okay? So nonetheless, here we are. Now, let's talk about the landscape. Okay, we said we'd talk about the reign of Christ. Let's consider the reign of Christ then this morning. Jesus Christ is going to establish his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. He's going to establish his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem, and he's going to rule and reign on the throne of David. And uh, so we see a great picture of that, as we've talked about in the past, with the reign of Solomon. We see a wonderful reign of Solomon where there's peace and where Israel is the exalted nation. We're going to see that again in the millennium, this time Christ himself ruling and reigning on that throne. Uh, the Bible tells us over in the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 32, it says, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. In Ezekiel 48, 35, we read, It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord's going to be there. I mean to tell you, Jesus Christ is going to be ruling and reigning. We're no longer going to have to deal with uh, human, uh, hu humanity on the throne. Now we'll have deity on the throne. At that point in history, we're going to see some tremendous changes take place. And boy, the God of all heaven will literally sit on the throne of David and rule and reign on this earth. He's going to rule, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. A rod of iron. Isn't that interesting? You know, the Bible talks about us as human beings, uh, as parents to, to discipline and to correct and to try to, uh, uh, to, to try to, I guess, mold the minds of our children. And he uses uh, often the idea of the necessity of a rod, the need for correction, the rod. And some people today in our culture, of course, freak out. They just lose their minds when they hear a word like that. They're like, oh my goodness, that's abuse. That's abuse. That's abuse. That's abuse. That's abuse. 
Well, I don't know who told you it's abuse, but it's biblical and scriptural. I know that much. And it's not abuse if it's administered with a hand of love and not out of, a, out of frustration and disappointment and everything that man often comes to the conclusion of. But the reality is that God intended for young men and young ladies, as they grow up, to have some correction, to have some direction, and to be able to go forward in life to produce something positive for both society and for heaven. And so he wants to utilize that tool. But hold on. In the millennium, God's going to use the very same tool that he tells us to use. He's going to use that in the millennium to keep control and to help people go in the right direction as well. He's going to use a rod of iron, though. Can you imagine? I don't use a rod of iron. I never used a rod of iron on my children. I've always used a, a, a wooden rod. I've always used something that just stung a lot. I didn't use something that hurt their body or harmed them, inten- uh, uh, harmed them uh, permanently. I used something that would get their attention. And, and you know what? God's going to use a rod of iron, though. You think about how much more severe a rod of iron is in, in relationship to, say, just a wooden rod or, say, a, a, a switch that you get from the, the old uh, apple tree or something like that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a little switch than an iron rod. Now, people can say whatever they want about God, that he's mean and nasty and that he's really not very, not very pleasant of a person. His personality is a little bit, you know, bad and all, you know, and he shouldn't be so angry at people all the time. He's not angry. He's doing everything he does for us in our best interest. Every time God puts a limit on us, it's to protect us. Every time God does something in that arena, it's for our own good. And you know what? In this particular case, he's going to finally rule and reign. We know how mankind treats God when he doesn't have an iron rod. We know how he treats him when he comes as a lamb. We understand what mankind does when he's not required to follow the rules. He doesn't follow the rules. As a matter of fact, he spits in God's face. He shakes his fist in God's face. As a matter of fact, he rebels against God very easily and very quickly and, and almost without effort, it seems. So God says there will be a point in history where, you know what? Evil is going to have to be suppressed. It's going to be dealt with. And when I rule and reign on the throne in Jerusalem, guess what? You will follow me and you will obey me for the first time in your life as, a, as humanity. You will do what you're told or you're going to pay the price. People say, well, I don't agree with that kind of philosophy. You don't have to agree with it because if you don't agree with that philosophy, you probably aren't saved to begin with. And the fact is, is that you won't be in heaven or in the millennium. You'll be in hell waiting for God to pull you up at that great white throne where he'll cast you into a place called the lake of fire. Now, that's not a pleasant thought, but that is a reality because if you can't buy into the word of God, then you are telling me you don't believe that who God is. And God is a God not just of love, but God is also a God of wrath. God is not just a God that is there to please you and to take care of your needs or my needs. No, God is there to be glorified in the midst of his creation. And may I say that I ought to be glorifying God, I ought to be recognizing God, and I ought to be doing something to say, God, you are in control, and you are the Lord of my life, and you have every right to steer me and direct me as you choose, not as I choose. And the fact is, is that during the millennium, people, whether they want to or not, are going to obey God because why? They're afraid of the rod. That's why someone will just obey because of the rod. You know, that's how it is in our home sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it sad when you have a child that only will obey because of the rod, that doesn't ultimately obey because of their respect and their desire to please mom and dad? You know what? I've never talked. I never talked to my two-year-old and tried to convince them to obey me. I never talked to my three-year-old and convinced them, well, you know, you just need to listen to mommy and daddy, and if you don't listen to mommy, let's sit and talk a while about it. There's no need to talk to a two- or three-year-old about obeying mom and dad. They just need to learn their consequences when they don't obey mom and dad. And when they learn that, they will obey mom and dad. And as they grow in obedience, and as they grow in maturity, they, don't, they learn. Listen, I don't, it's not just I'm afraid of the rod now. That's not really the issue anymore. I'm actually afraid of hurting or disappointing mom and dad. 
You know, that's the place we want our children to come to, where they ultimately say, I don't want to go out and get drunk, because if I come home, I'll break mama's heart. See, that's what God wants for you and I, too. God wants us to get to the place where we respect Him, love Him, and, and are so concerned about Him and His feelings that we say, I don't want to go out and sin, and I don't want to disobey Him, and I don't want to rebel against Him because I don't want to break His heart. The Bible says, however, in Revelation 19.50, that out of His mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it He should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He also says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Again, a prophecy toward the millennium. He says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You say, God, that's just not fair. Why would God be so angry and mean? Let me ask you something. Why in the world does the world want to shut us up? Why in the world does the, the world, why did they want to put Christians in prison and throw them to dens of lions? Why did the world do that to believers years ago? Are they any better in your mind than God? Think about the atrocities that we see today in our world. Do you think God's really the one who brings that all about? That's a direct result of sin, and that is a direct result of sinners. There is nothing good in this world except it be from God. And listen, God doesn't present the rod as a point to, to discipline people that are trying to follow him the best they can, to do their very best to honor Christ and to serve the Lord. He does it with those that have a tremendous and a completely disobedient, rebellious spirit. I don't know about you, but in my home, if my child has a rebellious spirit, that's the worst thing you could ever have an attitude. You never discipline because of deed. You discipline because of attitude. Actions are one thing, but attitude's another. Listen, if you can deal with the attitude and discipline the attitude, you will overcome actions in a life. Some of you are struggling with kids. Discipline for attitude. This is a discipline. This is, watch. That's what you need to discipline. You deal with that, the other stuff will just fall into place. Attitude's the problem. Your life, my life. Attitude's always the problem. And guess what? We're going to find in the millennium that attitude will ultimately be the real issue as well. Now, Israel is going to be the preeminent nation. It's going to be the preeminent nation. It's going to be the exalted nation. Remember back in Solomon's time, Israel was the top dog. They were the nation in all the world. Now, again, our history books begin with Babylon. If you go to school, you start with Babylon, with Babylon. Well, guess what? Guess who ruled before Babylon? Israel did. We don't talk about that. We want to jump to Egypt. We want to go to Babylon, but we want to miss and skip that part of history where Israel was number one. Why do we do that? Because that's where the seed of Christ comes. That's where the, the, the divine seed comes from. We don't want to trace his history because then we'd have to admit that he's creator. We'd have to ultimately admit that he is savior. So we got to just do away with that and act as though it never happened. You do your children a disservice if you don't teach and train them about the history of Israel because they have no basis by which to believe there is a Jesus without it. Don't just let the school system tell your kids what to believe. Take part in that thing and teach them. Don't just expect the church to do it either. You do it. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. 
That doesn't say, that's not to the church. That's written to you. Train them up. Train them up. Israel will be the preeminent nation, however. Isaiah chapter 60. Turn there, if you would, please. Notice what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah is a pretty big book. You, you probably fall to the middle of the Bible. You'll run into it. Again, speaking to Israel, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. A prophecy about Christ and his reign, and about Israel and their, their exaltation. Zechariah 14, 16, and 17, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. Notice those that are left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up from all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. They're not going to get any rain. They're going to have a big drought. So those that, that go into the millennium, the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, there's, they're going to be required to come into Jerusalem and to bring honor to God, the Lord Jesus. They're going to be required to do that. They're going to be expected to do that. You know what? It's amazing to me as believers how sometimes we don't believe that we have any responsibility or obligation to honor Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about what we really owe the Lord after everything he's done for us. If we say we believe that there is a heaven and a hell, if we say that we really believe that he is the creator of all the universe, if we honestly say and believe that he is the only one that can save our soul from hell and to forgive our sin, then how in the world do we not feel a responsibility and an obligation to honor him consistently and regularly? How, do we, how can we bypass that? It's impossible, in my mind at least, and yet we do it often. Zechariah 8.23 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall say, Take hold out of all languages of the nations. Even, even shall take hold, it says, Even shall take hold of the skirts of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And in that day, they're going to be grabbing hold. Hey, take us. Lead us to the king. Take us back to Jerusalem. Show us the way. Ten people grabbing hold of one. It won't be like knocking on doors. Of it. Hello? Hi, I'm Mark O'Donnell from Community Baptist Temple, just out in the area today because we believe God's concerned about folks. Because God's concerned about folks, so are we. So we thought we'd stop by today and see if there's anything that we as a church could do to help you and your family today. Oh, well, I think I'm fine. I'm good to go. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad to hear that news. Okay, we go on with our spiel. We talk to them a few minutes. We try to introduce them to the Savior by saying, you know, if you died today, are you 100% sure we'd spend eternity? Uh, well, I hope so. Hope so. Well, you know, the Bible says over in the book of 1 John, folks, listen, it won't be like that in those days. You know, in the millennium, what it's going to be like? It's going to be like, hey, you're one of them Jews, aren't you? You're one of them Jews. You, you, you know who the Lord is, right? Come on, take me to him. Take me to him. Come on, take me to him. Come on, go lead the way. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose you. That's what it just said there. And there'll be nine others holding on to him. 
Everybody trying to get their way to Jesus. Everybody trying to get their way to Jerusalem. Everybody trying to find their way to the master. A totally different setting than it is today. Israel will be exalted. Jesus Christ will be on the throne of David, ruling and reigning. Thank you, brother. That's a totally different mentality. You won't have to track people down. They'll track you down looking for truth. Israel will be elevated, though. It will be the place where men will go to worship the Lord. They will want to be a part of that great event. Not only that, but peace will prevail. And we live in a world that is so violent. And again, I'll be honest with you. I don't have a problem watching a good Western where the bad guy dies and the good guy wins. And there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, our children ought to learn that good prevails over evil. But may I say today that in most Hollywood movies, evil seems to prevail over good. they They even elevate evil in the eyes of people and say, see how attractive evil is? If you're a vampire and you serve the devil, you'll get all the women you want. And you let your kids watch that trash and read them stupid books? Somebody says, oh, you're getting mad? Yeah, I'm sick and tired of it. I am about sick of us elevating Satan in our homes and in our lives and then wondering why our children are going off into the world. What did I, where did I go wrong, preacher? Well, I brought them to church every service. Yeah, but you let them read that trash in their rooms, locked away, and watch it on television, and then you didn't have any control over it whether you think you did or not. If you knew if you did, God help you to permit that trash. Elevating Satan and evil. There's something wrong with that as believers. We're to be simple concerning evil, the Bible says. That doesn't mean simple as in stupid, but it means we don't know anything about it. We shouldn't know what's going on. I'm, I'm about tired of, of everybody knowing what's going on in the world. I mean, who's some, oh, that, that person, they did this, and they're hooked up with so-and-so, and they're going out to lunch with this guy. And I saw and read in the latest uh, magazine that, that this girl is actually getting married to this guy, and this guy just divorced this lady. And why are you so up on what's going on in the world? Let me ask you, what's going on in the Word of God? What's going on in your soul-winning life? What's going on in your, your personal time with Jesus Christ? Can I please get a, an answer from you? Because I'm about tired of knowing, of knowing so many believers that know everything about the world and nothing about Jesus. And we wonder why we're in such a mess in our marriages. And why our children are so upside down and topsy-turvy. Good Christians and so-called good homes. And here we are acting as though we're living in the world instead of a millennial time when Jesus is supposed to be on the throne of our life and in the throne of our homes. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to wait to the millennium to put him on the throne. He's already there for us. And he's glad to take his place. Say, you're pretty narrow-minded. No, I'm biblically minded. There is a difference. This has nothing to do with personal opinion. This is a biblical perspective. A biblical world view. And all I know is that Jesus Christ died for me, saved my soul. I owe him more than I owe anybody in this world. Peace will prevail, though. You like peace? I do. Do you know one of the worst things? I remember coming home from work. And, uh, uh, and, and by the way, let me, let me, I, I come home from work. You, you know what work is? What I do here. I never went to church. I went to work. You know why I did that? Because I don't want my kids to grow up one day thinking that this place stole me from them. Because every man, if he's a man, works. Every man has to provide for his family. 
Every man has to put in overtime sometimes to make ends meet. He may have to take a second job, but he's going to provide for his family the best he can with what he's got. And the older we get, unfortunately, that means there's less opportunity. Those hours get tougher, don't they? And sometimes our health starts to wax and wane, and we can't work like we used to. And that puts us in a tough spot. But for these young guys with their health, to turn around and say, well, I have to watch, I have to watch my soap operas, and I, I ain't got time to work, preacher, and I sent the little wife out to make ends meet, and are you kidding me? Get out there and work like a man. Do your job. Provide for your family. Somebody said, I don't like that either. It doesn't matter. It's biblical. A man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel, the Bible says. Get out there and do something. Provide for them. God gave them to you. Love on them. Cherish them and show them you love them by providing for them and meeting their needs the best you can. We live in a world that's pretty tough sometimes, but at least do your best. That's what God wants from you, your best. But I'd come home from work, and those kids, I, there was times I'd come home from work, and those kids were fighting, fussing. And my wife did her best. I mean, she did. She did her best to make sure everything was perfect when I came home. And it usually was in pretty good shape, but every once in a while, those kids were going crazy. And I'd walk in the door, and I'd be like, what in the world is going on here? And I didn't, I didn't yell at my wife about it, but I'd, I'd just yell at me. <laughs> and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Man, I come home from work. I put in how many hours or whatever, and here I am walking in the door to this chaos and confusion. Drove me crazy. Man, I, like, I go home for some peace. Don't you like your home to be a peaceful place? It ought to be a peaceful place. And you know, but kids are kids, and they're going to act like kids, right? Sometimes they're going to be fighting, fussing, and carrying on sometimes, and we do our best to keep them in check. But the fact is, it ought to be normally, the norm ought to be a peaceful place. A place of, of, of getting away, a, a R&R, rest and relaxation. A place where we get away from the world. A place where we get away from the stress and the pressures of life. A place where we go home and we can hug our wife and hug our children and hug our dogs. I'm sorry, but no cats, please. I knew that was going to come up, but I'm just not a cat guy. Now, I like some of those funny cat pictures. They, they do, there are some good ones, and Sue's got a lot of nice cats. But anyway, I, I, all right, maybe a cat or two here and there. But nonetheless, we hug them, and we have a great time. But, but listen, peace. Isn't peace a wonderful thing? Well, guess what? In the millennium, Christ is going to bring peace. Then he is the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Isaiah 9, 6. This is where it really comes to fruition. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. Where's all the peace? I've had people ask me that. I say, well, the problem is, if he's not inside you, you have no peace inside you. Because only where Jesus is on the throne is there really peace. And he's not going to really be on the throne on earth to bring peace to the earth till the millennium, till that thousand years, till after the rapture, till after the tribulation, till on into the millennium. That's when the Prince of Peace will rule and reign on the throne of David and bring peace to a world that is in utter chaos and confusion. See, if you don't have peace in your life and you're a child of God, that is an indictment on you spiritually. That has nothing to do with your circumstances or your situation. It is a reflection of your failure to have a walk with God like you ought to have. Because when God is on the throne of your life, you will find peace. I didn't say that everything will be perfect. I said you'll find peace. 
Yes, even in the hard times, you'll find peace. Because he is the prince of peace. And where he is on the throne, there is always peace. And in the millennium, there will be peace. Well, won't that be wonderful? To be able to walk down the street and not worry about getting accosted, beat up. I mean, can you imagine being able to leave all your doors unlocked, even your cars and parking lots, never have to worry about people stealing things? In a sense, now, there may be a little bit of that, but guess what? If you, you steal somebody's stuff during the millennium, he's, you're com- it's going to be swift and just punishment. It ain't going to mess around with us. I mean, it ain't going to be like today where, well, you know what? And it, nobody's afraid of that today. I mean, this is going to be serious. You don't do that. And you'll know it. And so, you know what? You won't have to worry about walking down the street. You won't have to worry about any of that. Now, of course, we'll have new bodies if we're child, children of God. And nobody, you know, I'd, I'd like move at the speed of light so nobody can catch me. <laughs> like, you want to fight? Go ahead. Catch me. I'm gone. He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day, right? I'll be like, you got to talk to my master over here, Jesus. He, yeah, the one with that big rod in his hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. But anyway. He won't be running around with a big rod in his hand either. That's just a picture of his government. That's a picture of how he's going to rule and reign. That's a picture of judgment and justice during the millennium. Jesus ain't going to run around with his big rod in his hand. He'll bend over. That's, that's not what we're talking about, okay? But we're talking about there'll be swift and just punishment. It's going to take place. That's really what we're saying there and what the Bible's teaching us. Now, Isaiah 2, 4 says, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. This, peace treaties. Well, those have worked well, haven't they? I mean, there's been thousands and thousands of peace treaties through the year. You know how many of them have lasted? Zero. They never last. Because there's men involved, there's women involved, there's humans involved, and none of us are perfect, and all of us are so selfish. I'm not opposed to trying to establish peace. I'm not opposed to even treaties. But we know of one person that's going to establish a treaty during the tribulation. It'll be a seven-year period, and in the middle of it, he'll break it too. Before it's over with, he's going to chase Israel right on out of the wilderness and seek to devour them and destroy them. And you know what? That's how it ends because mankind, his father, is the devil anyway. And so he's always going to respond the way his father does. That's why we need Jesus as our father. So we respond like Christ. Now, it goes on to say he's going to turn beat the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. <laughs> Joel 3.10, it says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. You know, now the weak get picked on. But in that day, they'll be strong. Boy, that, won't that be a change of pace? Amen? Well, peace is going to prevail because Christ is going to be on the throne. He's the Prince of Peace. That's, how, that's part of the character of this time. That's, that's as we said already, the landscape. I, I mean, we talk about who's going to be in the millennium. We could talk about the fact that, that they're going to come from the tribulation. We already talked about that. Resurrected tribulation saints. You remember those that lost their heads because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast? Those that were, were, were uh, punished from, by, by the Antichrist because they would not receive the mark? Those will usher into the millennium. They will rule and reign also. And then we find church-age saints like you and I. As a matter of fact, the Bible says over in the book of Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. 
He says in 2 Timothy 2, 2, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, we shall also deny us. Now listen, we, we bear our cross now. We have a crown later. We rule and reign with Christ. Boy, this is a wonderful thing. So we have those coming from the tribulation, those resurrected tribulation saints, the church age saints, and also most likely and probably the Old Testament saints. You say, how, why would you think the Old Testament saints will be in the millennium? Well, over in Matthew 8, 11, Jesus himself said, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that great? I mean, hey, what's up there, Moses? How are you? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about some things. Remember when you raised your rod up there and that parted? I mean... Was it really all wind or was God supernaturally? I mean, was it a foot of water like they try to tell us here on earth, even though I know it can't be the case, right? No, the Bible was still true, Mark. It was still true. No, I knew that. Okay, already. But you'll be able to talk to Moses, talk to Abraham, talk to Daniel. You'll be able to interact and converse with all those Old Testament saints that you read about all those years. Man, get to know them a little bit now so when you talk to them, you got something to deal with. People are going to live longer. You know, people live longer in the millennium. How, how long? Probably the oldest people we know are a little over 100, maybe. Guess what? In the millennium, a child will die. A person will die 100 years of age will be considered a child. You say, what? That's crazy. Well, it's, it's very similar like the before the flood. Remember how old they lived before the flood? You know, you had people living. I, I saw even at the Creation Museum, you had Methuselah, 969 years old. Wow, that's pretty old, right? That's pretty old. Some of us wouldn't want to live that long in this world. Imagine how many changes have come about in the last 60 years, let alone the next 600. But nonetheless, I mean, here we have here, these living up to 900, 1,000 years old. So following the flood, life expectancy we know drops dramatically. We know we see Abraham and others down to 175 years of age. And as we move forward, and history gets less and less and less. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Climate change, all kind of different issues going on. Climate change, did I say that? But anyway, it, it did. It, there was big climate change back in those days. Let me tell you that right now. But nonetheless, a uh, big problem with the ozone too, by the way, uh, because there was a canopy of water. There is no canopy of water now. Sun okay, but anyway, there's a lot of things happening. Boy, I shouldn't have gone to that museum before the service today. But nonetheless, a lot of changes took place. Now, Isaiah 65, 20 says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. Isn't that interesting? But the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. I mean, you're not going to want to disobey God, but the fact is, is that people will die at a hundred and they'll be considered young, just childlike. So that means that people are going to begin to age again and live longer during that period of time. Why? There will be a number of cataclysmic changes that take place when Jesus comes to the earth, a number of geological changes even. And finally, animals. Think about the animals. Right now, you can't go into the jungles of Africa. You'd be afraid you get ate up. But you know what's going to happen? It's going to revert back to like pre-garden days where Adam named the animals, where Adam could fellowship with the animals, and they, were, they, were, they weren't carnivorous. They were vegetarian. Guess what? Animals aren't going to be eating people or other animals. Isn't that going to be something? It's going to change again dramatically. Drastically in the millennium, Isaiah 11, verse 6 through 9, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. That doesn't happen now. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and little children shall lead them. Come on. Come on, Mr. Wolf. Yeah, just quit nipping at my heels. 
Mr. Lion, your tail, it hurts. Quit hitting me with it. I mean, can you imagine children leading around these animals, these ferocious animals that we understand today? That's all because of the millennium. It'll all be different. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Vegetarian. And, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of an asp. And the weaning child shall put his hand on the cuckatrice den. Very poisonous, poisonous uh, creatures. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, isn't that great? Well, what a different environment. What a different place it'll be in the millennium. Why? Because Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne of David. And wherever Jesus Christ rules and reigns, there is peace and there is change. And may I say today that you can have and experience that kind of peace, that kind of purpose, that kind of life. Oh, yeah, there's chaos and confusion all around us today in the world in which we live. Yes, indeed, there is. But there is also a Christ who died on Calvary, was buried and rose again. And he has a great desire to be invited into your heart and into your life so that he can seat himself on the throne of your life and bring to you that peace and that purpose and that hope that will be found in the millennium. It can be found today, though, in your life. But you must trust him. And once you've received him, you need to continue to permit him and allow him to rule in your life. Do not take back the reins. Do not move his hands off the steering wheel. Don't take control of your life. Instead, allow him to have control of you. And God will give you grace and provide you with purpose and hope. And do what he'll do, even in the millennium, he can do now in your heart and in your life. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for the time we've had together in this place. We thank you, Father, for just the wonderful opportunity that we had to consider the landscape of that period. 